Welcome to Change Nation, a program brought to you by First30Days.com. On this episode of Change Nation, learn how to go green with author and expert James Glaive. Here's Ariane. When some people decide to go green, they use less electricity or they start recycling. Well, that wasn't enough for James Glaive. Those baby steps were child's play compared to James's grand plan of building his own green studio right next to his home. Building this environmentally friendly studio, dubbed the Echo Shed, wouldn't be easy. But the former senior editor for Outside Magazine has a surprisingly good sense of humor and wrote about all of his challenges and successes in his new book, Almost Green, How I Saved One-Sixth of a Billionth of the Planet. Today on Change Nation, James is here to talk about how and why he built this echo shed and share some of his hard-earned knowledge for others who also share his dream of going green. Welcome, James. Well, thanks very much. So what possessed you to go ahead and build this echo shed when most people would probably have started with changing a few light bulbs or maybe using less water? What, what inspired you? Well, I think the, what happened is I, I did take care of the less water and the light bulbs, and uh, I, I took care of all those baby steps that we, we hear a lot about these days. And I reached this moment where I, I kind of had this sort of wake-up call that that wasn't quite going to be enough for me. Uh, and really, it's my personality. I'm, I'm sort of one of these, as you'll get gather from reading the book, I'm sort of one of these very driven, uh, obsessive-compulsive, very goal-oriented guys. And it, it occurred to me that, you know what, all these baby steps are good, but I think that really we're, we're reaching a, a point at which it's time to really turn it up a notch. It's time for, you know, instead of small incremental changes, it's time for big, bold moves and grand statements and big gestures. And really, this is, uh, this is how I ended up getting started on the project. So what were the first 30 days of that grand project, grand dream like? What was exciting? What was challenging? What did you learn from going ahead and doing this? Well, I, it was, it was sort of, it's such a huge project, it's hard to even articulate when the first 30 days began. Um, I think that the first thing I did is, you know, my wife and I sat down and we just had this conversation where we decided that, you know, we were going to build this, we'd always planned to do a little studio or an overnight guest space and a home office kind of a thing out in the front yard. In fact, the, the foundation was poured for it when we had our, our house built for us, which is sort of a spec home kind of a, kind of a thing in this very suburban style development. And so we said to ourselves, well, why don't we just, uh, you know, use this as an opportunity to, to do all the things that we'd wanted to do with our home, uh, but weren't able to for, for reasons of logistics and cost and life force and everything else. We, we kind of reached a point where we were ready for it. And, um, we, you know, we started sitting down and, and, and starting the research. And it was kind of an emotional thing more than it was a, a spreadsheet thing. We, we, we knew that there'd probably be a slight uh, cost premium to do it this way versus doing it as traditional construction, but we also knew instinctively that we'd save that money over the life of the building. So, so it became a kind of a, uh, you know, let's just plunge in uh, and get started and, and, and figure it out as we go along sort of a thing, and it was a very exciting time. James, you said a couple of things I want to follow up on. Where did you find you got your best information from, best research? There's, there's a lot out there. What, what really honed you into certain areas of information that you think could be useful for people right. listening? 
Well, I would say think local is, is the first one on that. Um, when it comes to green building, th- there really is no kind of universal standard. Uh, it, it's very much uh, about the bioregion that you're in uh, and what strategies and what approaches work really well. So, for example, in, in cold, clear interior areas uh, where you get a lot of uh, winter sunshine but very cold temperatures, you should definitely uh, incorporate some passive solar design elements into your into your structure. In other areas, it, it may not be as appropriate. Uh, so what I ended up doing is we have a regional green building public resource center here, and uh, I looked them up and I went in there, and it's a wonderful uh, space. It's a nonprofit, and it's staffed with architects and planners and engineers, and you can just go in there and sit down and show them a sketch or you know your plans, and, and you can have a talk with them about how to make it more green. Um, there's a lot of these kinds of organizations working around across the states and Canada, and uh, I would just encourage people to, to seek out those, those people just to get you started on the right footing, uh, because there is, of course, an overwhelming amount of information out there. James, the other thing, too, that I heard you say was cost and materials. Yeah. Is it a myth that it does cost quite significantly more to go ahead and green a new part of your home or create a part of your home that's green? And how do you, how do you help people address that concern? It's a hard question to answer because it does cost more at the outset. You're going to spend that money anyway, though, over the life of the building through increased energy costs and maintenance uh, if you don't go green from the start. So, so it's kind of the conundrum, and, and my book, Almost Green, explores this at some length, that you know, I think there's a fair amount of, of, uh, of misleading information that if, you know, it's easy, it's cheap, it's painless. I don't think it always is. I think that we're still in that transition phase where there is a lot of back and forth and negotiation and, and crunching that you have to do to figure it out. There are a lot of strategies that you can use to bring your costs down. Uh, but if you build a deep green building, you probably are going to pay more at the, fr- at the front end uh, than you would with a conventional building right now. How much more depends on how aggressive you are, what kind of strategy you use, and so forth. But again, I want to stress that in, in most cases, you, you earn that money back. Tell us a little bit about what this Echo Shed looks like. Does it have a bed, a kitchen? Yeah, Do you, yeah. Are you often in it? What's it like? Yeah, well, it's a, it's a, it's a rectangle. It's a, it's a box with a sloped, uh, giant overhanging roof, sort of like a graduation cap. Uh, so it's 14 feet by 20 feet. Um, it's clad in uh, beautiful, reclaimed, clear cedar siding. Uh, so it's quite elegant and, and modern looking. Uh, and uh, inside, I've got a sort of a polished, exposed concrete floor, uh, which, which has a uh, use as a heat sink to absorb uh, sunlight and radiate it back into the room. But it's a, it's a sort of a studio. It's a, I have a queen-size bed in there. I have a wood stove, a little kitchenette area, and a, a half bath, a shower, and a, and a, and a toilet. So, uh, so it's a space that you could spend the weekend in. Um, it's also a space that you can work in. There's a built-in desk in there and, and so forth. So... Uh, so it's really kind of a, a little ret- self-contained retreat. If, if I needed to go in there to write, write a three-day novel, I wouldn't have to come out <laughs> until it was over. James, top three lessons from actually having built this Echo Shed. Top three lessons. Uh, don't under, underestimate the costs and make sure that you're, you're able to, to take that on. Uh, be flexible all the way through the process if if a strategy that you've, you've convinced yourself is a solution 
uh, doesn't pan out. Um, you know, and uh, don't be afraid to ask as many questions as you could possibly imagine all the way through. Uh, this is a classic case of me biting off more than I can chew, which is what I always do. <laughs> but uh, as well, I mean, I, I really felt I was a general contractor on the project. I hadn't uh, contracted a building before. And, uh, you know, this, the, the system isn't set up to work with amateurs. It's, it's more, uh, there's assumptions that are made that, that, that cause me some challenges all the way through. And, uh, you know, I am a journalist, so I'm naturally a very curious person. I wasn't curious enough all the way through. I, I didn't ask enough questions, and that came back to haunt me in a couple of different places. James, I know I read in the book that you describe yourself as a... I'm going to pronounce it in the wrong way. Caldus activism. Yes, Caldus activist. Oh, I did pretty good. Um, what What is that? How do you yeah. get the term? How do you become one? Yeah. Well, I think Caldus activism is um, is kind of a a new uh, strain of of community organizer or community activist. Uh, in the past, you know, environmentalism in quotes. Uh, was really kind of a had a slightly confrontational tone to it. There was a certain the movement had a certain uh, defiance and an undercurrent of anger and resentment. Uh, that changed about five years ago. I noticed it became eco chic, which is all about sort of um, breezy solutions and uh, low hanging fruit and uh, sexy bamboo paneling. And it kind of the whole movement had a kind of a makeover moment. Uh, and that was sort of when I became really interested in it and kind of got on board and drank the Kool-Aid, as I say in the book. <laughs> but cultist activism is sort of, to me, it represents the new face of change in that people from all walks of life and, you know, the cul-de-sac is the icon of suburbia are now, you know, getting themselves involved in, in bringing about some, some changes beyond their own bubble. So I would say that changing your light bulbs is the first step. When you take care of that stuff and you want to reach out across the back fence or to your neighbors to see if you can get something on a higher level organized to, you know, community compost or community garden or a shared vehicle, that's to me is called activism in action. It's it's a new wave of you know going past your what what would be most people's comfort barriers uh, and breaking out and and starting to bring about change outside your own bubble. What do you feel is in the way for most people to even get started with changing their light bulbs, let alone get to step two, three, four, five? Is it an emotion? Is it a fear? Is it money? Is it time? Is it it's too complicated? Like, what is it? What do we it's need all to of like those go things, through? Uh, really, you've, <laughs> you've just rattled off the list. Uh, I think it's it's ultimately fear. I, I think as soon as you start to bring change into your life, it. Change is a scary thing. We're, we're all in this kind of, uh, you know, uh, we're living in a very complicated time. I think the world in general is far more complicated and, and tricky to navigate than it was for my parents. And, uh, and as a result, our kind of our response to that is to kind of figure out our routine and, and get on, sort of stay on autopilot and just, just go about our business and, uh, you know, try to, it's kind of almost a coping mechanism to kind of assume this default, uh, you know, sort of pushing, pushing ahead, finding the path of least resistance. What, what, what has to happen is that as individuals, each of us has to find a way to, to reach in and turn off that autopilot switch and, and start, despite the fact that life is overwhelming at times and, and complicated and, and challenging to negotiate, start to live deliberately, you know, start to really question 
why you do the things that you do, and try to see if there's if there's a way that you can you can waver from that routine, step outside it, just to feel the you know what's the temperature of the water like out there. And I think once you do that, you start to feel emboldened because you realize that even in a small way, you're suddenly becoming part of the solution. And that's an addictive feeling. This is Change Nation from the first 30 days. I'm speaking with James Glave, author of Almost Green, and we'll be right back. Welcome back to Change Nation. I'm Ariane, and my guest today is James Glave, author of the wonderful and very funny book, Almost Green. I want to talk about the humor that you use, actually, James. We hear a lot about the environment and a lot about what we should do, and it all feels pretty serious and pretty heavy these days. I know a lot of the people who have taken on a a great and inspiring role in this movement, it's done with a lot of seriousness. Do you think humor is the way to actually inspire change? Is that part of why you wrote this book? Absolutely, and and it's really what I'm all about. So, um, excuse me. Um, It... Humor is, is an absolutely critical uh, ingredient in, in, in getting people to identify with what you're doing. You know, I've, I've really tried to be light about it. I've also tried to be just brutally honest about what my life has been like. And I think that once people can connect with what you're doing and who you are and where you're coming from, you really get them on side a lot faster. And I think it's a great shortcoming of, of the, the classic sort of old school enviro movement was just this sort of deadly serious, uh, you know, this approach, this philosophy or this, this basis that everybody out there is just an eager student sitting in their uh, seat at school waiting to be, to be uh, educated. And it's sort of, it, it, it's a complete spectacular failure, really. <laughs> Nobody will really read anything if it's, if it's going to come across like homework. Uh, so, so, yeah, I think if you have fun, uh, if, you're, if you're able to laugh at yourself and um, poke fun at yourself and make light of your mistakes, you're definitely going to get people more on your side. So, James, for people who want to be part of this, I want to be a green person, and they're aware of it, but they haven't actually moved to action. Other than the light bulbs, which I think we've all heard about, what are the next two, three, four, five things that really everyone should be doing by now, with humor, with a smile on their face? You know, I think one of the one of the most satisfying things you can do. I mean, the whole turn off your lights thing—it's—it's it's kind of abstract, you know. You're—you're you're basically. You know, you get yourself into a habit, but you can't really connect with, you know, a coal plant uh, powering down, uh, you know, one-sixth of a billionth of its capacity, as it were. Uh, one of the things I always say when I get asked that question is, try growing food, you know. Almost anybody can do it. If you're in an apartment, if you've got a balcony, you could put a, a, pot, a few pots on there or a planter box and fill it with greens and lettuce greens. Uh, and there's nothing more rewarding than actually seeing something tangible that you grew yourself that you that you can then serve and eat yourself. And it's sort of one of those. It's a no-brainer for a lot of people, but for other people, it's sort of like, whoa! I, you know, why would I do that? It's it's a buck fifty a lettuce at the supermarket. It, it makes a big difference. It really does, and it, it it starts you along that that path to questioning. Uh, your choices and, and, and seeing where you can make a difference. And it's sort of an easy place to get started. And, and just it has huge bang for its buck in terms of reward value. How did you calculate how much of the planet you actually saved? 
<laughs> I took a wild guess. <laughs> you, you took a wild guess. Yeah, yeah, no, I think it, it's kind of the, the subtitle of the book, How I Saved One-Sixth of a Billion. I think it's just, it's an effort to kind of make light of the fact that, yeah, my, my contribution at times feels incredibly infinitesimally small. And, you know, I, I, I talk as well about, you know, my neighbors and the people around me who are just nowhere near even ready to get started making these changes. And, you know, how difficult it is to even talk with them about it or, or to get them started or to connect with them on some level. And so I think just acknowledging, you know, the futility factor, um, you know, it's, it's not it's not just about you know oh i haven't made a difference this is this is just a hopeless action it's it's sort of you know speaking to yourself and saying gosh i'm you know this feels good but oh my god we have a long ways to go you know now james do you feel that you're green in some areas and not so green in others like there's uh, a there's a bit of a thing of well i'm going to try and be perfect but i'm so far from being perfect Yes, I think that's the other message of the, the book's title is that none of us are green. All of us are almost green. Um, it's, green isn't a, a place that you can arrive at. You can't work down a checklist and then say, okay, I'm green now. It, it's a forever, it's a constant sort of ongoing burrowing in kind of process. It's a perpetual self-improvement project, you know, if you will. And um, yeah, it's just, it's hard, you know. <laughs> At times, it's really challenging. What have you, um, what have you seen the right messages for kids and for maybe parents who are watching this, listening to this? What would you tell them to get started with? You know, I would just, uh, everybody's situation is different. It, it's so hard to sort of give universal advice. It, it's more about, I, again, the sort of, you know, live deliberately. Look at your, your own routine. Some of us have some money to throw around. Some of us don't have anything. You know, some of us live in the burbs. Others live within footsteps of their office. Every, every individual situation is different. I think that we just need to start to look at where we're at and say to ourselves, well, is there a way I could be doing this a little bit better? You know, it's, it's really, we're not robots. We don't respond well to being told, do this, do this, do this, do that. But there's enough general information out there that we understand the broader principles of, of how to reduce our carbon footprint, for example. That, uh, you know, it's just about identifying the situations in your own life uh, that, that you, could, you could apply those to. What's next for you on your green adventures after you know, this book? What, what sort of got your attention and gets you excited? Well, my wife and I are starting a nonprofit um, that is all about, uh, you know, ultra-local solutions to global challenges. Uh, it's, uh, it's an organization called One Day Bowen, which is the name of our island, Bowen Island. And um, we're hoping to sort of uh, do some projects and some uh, programs with the schools here uh, and uh, reach out. And, and we've already done uh, some local eating initiatives. We organized a farmer's market in August. Uh, it was a smash success. Um, you know, we want to look at uh, things like energy efficiency, if there's any uh, research that can be done on uh, renewable energy pilot projects. Uh, those are the kinds of things we want to work on. So I think I've done enough building for now. It's, I think it's, it's more about outreach and connecting with people and, and seeing if, if the spark can carry forward from there. That's wonderful. Well, James, I certainly acknowledge your work and your message in this wonderful book. I have it really 
gets all the success that it deserves. I think it's a wonderful stepping stone and how to get started and certainly fits with our mission here at the first three days, which is how do you get started with something? How do you care about it? So truly thank you for, for your work and what you've done. Thank you very much. It's been an honor to be here on the show. Thank you. So for more information on James Glaive and his book, Almost Green, please visit his website at glaive.com. That's spelled G-L-A-V-E.com. And to read more about this Echo Shed, you can visit, and it has its own website, echo-shed.ca. You've been listening to an interview with James Glaive here on Change Nation. For more interviews, more experts, more inspiration, please be sure to visit us online at first30days.com. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.